I am Jim Collison, and this is Gallup's Call to Coach, recorded on April 20th, 2022. Call the Coach is a resource for those who want to help others discover and use their strengths. We have Gallup experts and independent strengths coaches share tactics, insights, and strategies to help coaches maximize the talent of individuals, teams, and organizations around the world. If you're listening live on our live page, gallup.com slash cliftonstrengths slash live, there's a link right above us there to the YouTube page that has the chat room. We'd invite you to join us there in chat and ask your questions live. If you're listening after the fact, either via the podcast or on YouTube, you can always send us your questions coaching at gallop.com. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or right there on YouTube so you never miss an episode. Bruno Zadi is our host today. He works as a coaching community leader at APAC uh, with me here at Gallup. And Bruno, always great to have you on Called the Coach. Welcome back. Thank you, Jim. Nice to see you too. We have a fabulous guest with us today. I've enjoyed the last 30 minutes. One of the privileges I get is I get to meet the guests in advance. Bruno, take a second and uh, introduce our guest. Absolutely. Hi, Caroline. So today I'm delighted to host on Call to Coach, Caroline French. Caroline is a Gallup Certified Strength Coach. Her top five are significance, activator, command, achiever, and competition. As you can see, there are a lot of influencing themes uh, on her top five. Caroline is head of leadership excellence at Finca, a learning and development organization. She's originally from UK. Caroline has lived in Australia for half of her life. She currently resides in Melbourne with her husband, three children, and a dog. During her spare time, she loves uh, having a good pod podcast, working on the beach with a coffee, and some reformer, reformer Pilates. She's passionate about helping people understand and maximize their potential. Caroline believes that there is brilliance inside every single person and is motivated by helping people recognize it in themselves. And I really love this sentence, and I would like to develop a little bit after. She loves watching people having a aha moment and breakthrough and witnessing the growth that follows. Caroline has 20 years experience in a learning and development space, working with individuals, teams, and executives. She believes in investing in talent, recognizing individual strength, and mentoring teams to deliver results with lasting impact. She's also a great advocate of collaborative learning culture where development is life and not just an event. And that's resonates very well with the strength-based approach. Her expertise are in uh, building capability by teaching human leadership skills that can be practically applied, and that's the topic of today. Focusing on the root cause of underperformance, not just fixing the symptom, and we feel here the significance and the really uh, maximizer in action. Innovative and out-of-the-box thinking to inform learning experience that have impact which is also aligned to the skill in 2025 with innovation and stimulating growth through coaching, mentoring, and collaborative workshop. Caroline, welcome to Call to Coach. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Caroline, let's take a little second to get to know you a little bit better. Give us a little bit about you, your top five, and if I miss something in the introduction to go deeper. 
goodness, that was that was such a, an incredible introduction. I don't think I could add anything more to it, but I guess I'll, I'll just focus on that idea of, of finding the brilliance in every single person. I believe that's kind of almost my true north and I feel like it's my purpose and something that I've really um, resonated with over my years in L&D that people often surprise you uh, and it takes time sometimes to really unpack what it is that that someone has inside them. Often they don't see it themselves and, and a great coach is able to help them to recognise what that looks like for them. Uh, and I enjoy that. I, I get a lot of energy from, from seeing people grow, from seeing people recognise, you know, the tools that they have to use that sometimes they just don't see themselves. And so the strengths tool for me has really helped me to help others. And I think that's, uh, that's what I love about it. I would like to understand it a bit more. There are one or two sentences in your introduction who really resonate. It's about focusing on the root cause of underperformance, not just fixing mm. the symptom. Can you share a little bit your experience in this area? Yeah, I think often we we look at the the what's sitting on the the level that's sitting on the surface rather than actually going a little bit deeper to work out you know, what's really going wrong. So I think about something like, say, procrastination. Often we look at procrastination, someone sort of, you say, oh, you know, maybe they're a little bit lazy, maybe they don't want to take risks. But when you dig a little bit deeper, it always comes from a place of potentially fear, um, potentially uh, fear of trying something new, fear of taking a risk. And, and when we really dive deeper, we can actually come up with an intervention or help them work through that to actually deal with, with the actual problem, the root cause, rather than what's sitting on the surface. Mm, I love it. And also, um, you explained that uh, you're an advocate of learning culture where development is life and not just an event. Mm. Can you give me an example? I think often, I, I obviously come from a, an L&D background where, you know, I've, I've run L&D departments and so often you hear we've got a training issue. Um, and often, it actually isn't the training that's the issue. It's other things. It's it's in the flow of work. What is it that we need at the point of pain? And so often it isn't about a workshop. It's more about conversation. It might be a tool that someone needs to be able to do their work more effectively. And so we focus a lot at Thinker around, you know, how do we make sure we create learning at the point of need or learning in the flow of work. We talk about that because that's where it's actually going to change behaviour rather than making it about an event, a workshop, um, something that's formalised. Learning becomes this sort of informal, um, organic thing that we do every single day. Caroline, if I can jump in really quick, uh, let me ask you this question. And we got this from the chat room. Do me a favour. Can you Give us your top five, just in order for us, so folks in the in the chat room will know what those are. Okay, significance, activator, command, achiever, and competition. Perfect. All right, Bruno, keep going. Yes. So, could you please share with us how you discover Clifton Strength and why you decided to become Gallup Accredited Coach? So, I was introduced to Clifton Strengths about 15 years ago by a client. So, I was actually working with them and I was running some DISC workshops at the time. So, I've had a fair bit of uh, experience with other diagnostics like DISC, Myers Briggs, Insights, etc. And whilst they were all great profiles or tools to use to understand ways of working, what I loved about the, the Gallup approach, the Strengths approach, was 
how granular it was, how unique it was to understanding yourself and others. I really resonated with this idea of moving away from fixing weaknesses and focusing really on potential and the investment in natural talents. So I've never really been someone that uh, likes to draw within the lines. I like to go outside a little bit. And what I loved about the tool was it really spoke to authenticity and it spoke to individuality, uh, understanding who you are and, own, and, and knowing that I actually internally have these tools that actually can help me to reach my potential. So I was hooked really, really quickly. Um, but I, became a, I didn't become accredited coach until about six years ago when I was heading up an L&D department. And the reason I became an accredited coach was because I wanted to share it with the wider business. I wanted it to become part of what we did every day because it's such a powerful tool. But interestingly enough, when I first did find out my top five talents, I wasn't actually so keen on the talents that I had, especially my significance talent. Yes, and talking about significance, in our previous conversation, you explained that your significance, number one, was driving you crazy at the start. Mm -hmm. Can you please share how you have invested in your strength and yeah. what kind of self-development have you done? Any example? So actually 60% of my top 10 talents are all influencing talents. So collectively, when they're not as productive or when they're from the basement, the way I would describe them is kind of chaos in action, to be honest. So when I first discovered my strengths profile, especially significance, it was probably coming from a much less mature place. And often I would sort of see basement behaviours, less productive behaviours. So an example might be I was so focused on creating impact that I would miss opportunities to collaborate with others. Uh, I was focused on external validation. So, you know, I would sometimes obsess over one piece of critical feedback, which is not ideal when you're a facilitator and that's what you do to grow every day. You need to accept this, this feedback that you're getting. So I had to do a lot of work on myself, a lot of work on acceptance um, and I guess dialing up some vulnerability, um, moving the ego out of the way and recognising that I will always have an external pull for excellence. I will always want feedback. Um, I will always want to make a difference, but I needed to flip the perspective. So it was less about uh, myself and more about serving others. And so what I've worked on over the years is, is building up that, that skill to see others' potential, to kind of shine the light on others' accomplishments. And most importantly for me, it's always been about having people around me that are comfortable to call out both my the behaviours when they're having a really positive impact and really creating sort of momentum versus when I go to the basement and the behaviours are not showing up as well for me, actually being able to call out those behaviours. Um, I think one of the, I, I use this a lot in strengths workshops that I run, we're all human and we're all going to drop to the basement at times. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to visit there, but you just can't live there. And sometimes you need help to make sure you're, you're jumping back up into that productive space again. And so surrounding myself with people that just don't, you know, call me out on it when they need to has been really, I guess, a game changer for me. Thank you. You currently work uh, with an organization called Finca. Can you tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about them? 
How do I describe Thinker? Probably the best way to uh, start is, is to talk about our true north. We've got a very, we're a learning and development organisation, but we've got a very defined purpose. We, we want to develop learning that makes work more human. Um, and we do that in everything that we do, whether it's dealing with our clients, working with our customers, internally with each other. We want to build skills that allow us to bring our whole selves to work. Um, and we all want to come to work feeling more human and having a really env environment that allows us to truly be ourselves. I mean, no, we all want that. Um, we're not disruptors. Uh, we like to sort of talk about ourselves as, and we like to antagonise the edges of what's going on. So we're constantly looking at, you know, how can learning be done differently? You know, I don't want to really use that word pivot because it's been so overused in the last two years. But what we were able to do during this last two years where everything became online was we actually sort of, we pivoted, but we stopped first of all. And we went, how can we make the in-person um, experience feel as human online? And so that's really been our, our focus for the last two years. Because what we found that it's people coming out of the pandemic now, perspectives have changed People want to feel like they've got a greater purpose. Um, they really want to feel like their, their work means something. So an investment in strengths and capability is absolutely crucial now to retaining talent. Um, the more human a workplace is, the more connected people feel. And when people feel connected, when they feel like they, they're able to elevate these human skills, you're actually going to get a more engaged workforce. Now, when I talk about human skills, that's really, you know, known in the past as soft skills. So skills like providing feedback, coaching, managing conflict, navigating ambiguity. And the interesting thing is they call it soft skills, but I don't know anyone that I've ever worked with that found these skills soft or easy to manage. They're often the hardest skills, but they're the ones that make us most human. So we work with organisations to really work with their people opportunities because, I guess no matter what sort of business you're in, whether it's uh, construction, retail, government, we're actually all in the people business. So it really is all about people. You're quite niche organization because you, your focus, it's really about uh, building human skill. And we were talking previously that you combine some online training with coaching and individualized mm -hmm. development. Um, how does that work exactly if you have to work on, uh, I don't know, get more empathy or uh, whatever capability you want to develop? Do you have an example to try to understand better uh, the in-depth of that? Yeah, let me just sort of uh, sort of open it up a little bit. So if we think about growing a skill or a capability, it actually requires you to tap into something that you've already got inside. So, you know, how do I bring or leverage my natural talents to help me build this capability. So when you attach strengths to a capability build or a skill build, what you're doing is you're really personalizing it for that person. So building that capability, so whatever the capability is, whether it's um, you know driving accountability or building empathy, the capability itself doesn't change, but the way that you deliver it might change depending on the uniqueness of your mix of, of talent things. Um, what it does is it actually pushes you to take accountability for your own development. So if you think about it through a strengths lens, what it's doing is a strengths lens is really a growth mindset lens. So for example, you might be saying to yourself, I'm not able to do this yet, but with practice, with intentional focus, if I really dial up my, my strengths, it's gonna help me get there. 
So if you think about it, for example, a leader is working on building the capability of, say, um, empathy. So I'm trying to build empathy. And sorry, start again. If I'm trying to say we look at the capability uh, as feedback, right? I'm trying to build feedback. That's the capability I'm looking at. And say I've got empathy in my top five. Now, if I use that from a productive or from a balcony space, I'm likely to be open-minded. I'm likely to listen really well. I'm likely to be non-judgmental and to really ask really powerful questions to determine what that other person might need in the feedback conversation. However, if I might use that uh, same talent but use it from the basement or less productively, I might find myself finding it really hard to be, you know, really clear uh, in, in my feedback. So I might find myself making it the... Uh, making it a little bit ambiguous, focusing more on the relationship potentially than on the outcome. And so I have a lot of control then over how I learn that skill. If I catch myself in the moment, I can say, well, okay, I'm, I'm in the basement right now. I'm focusing too much on the relationship over the outcome. How do I get myself back up to that space where I'm open-minded? I'm being really, really clear. I think there's a great saying from Brene Brown where she talks about um, to be clear is actually to be kind. And we often talk about this in providing feedback, but actually you're doing someone a disservice when you're not being really clear and giving them the, the information that they really need. And so when we, when we link strengths to a capability, we're moving away from deficit thinking. We're moving away from talking about skill gaps or capability gaps. And what we're moving towards is opportunities, growing out of bad habits and growing into good ones. How long time it's take to, um, I imagine, let's talk about feedback. So you have mm. different lanes. Um, example, someone who got high maximizer and command will uh, deliver the feedback or receive the feedback differently than someone with high empathy and communication. We know that um, a transformation takes time. So mm. how long time it takes to, to help organization and human being to acquire this human skill? Is it a, a workshop? Is it what's the length? Is it some ongoing coaching? How, from which stage you um, you observe the transformation and mm. how do you, um, I would say, uh, assess or survey or whatever point to make sure this uh, capability is here and now you have a real impact and transformation. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, so there's a, there's a few, I guess, levers that we would look at. Generally, back in the day, back in the old days, we would have you know, leadership programs or days of leadership where we might cover three or four different topics. We'd have concept after concept. And the reality is now that what we're seeing in organisations is the want for micro-skilling. So come into a workshop or a coaching session, focus in on one skill and then apply. So it's all about how I go and apply and then repeat. And it's that sort of repetitive notion. But it doesn't come just from going to a workshop or going to a coaching session. What's really important are the integration tools, so the tools that we use um, around that sort of intervention, if you if you want for better use of a word. And it might look something like um, we develop things like meeting packs where, you know, a leader can go back and run uh, a session with their team. It might be similar. It might be uh, a video that they use um, or an application tool that they use when they go back into the business. Um, it might be a series of 
reflective questions that they can use. So it's constantly applying that skill in whatever way it looks. So it really does depend. You know, there's back, we would have said originally that, you know, it took 20 days to change a habit. But what we've learned with recent research is it's not so much around how long it takes. It's the repetitiveness of actually applying that skill. So depending on how many times you practice will be dependent on how quickly you get to competency. So it's really individualized. It depends on each mm -hmm. individual, how much effect they put in and have some self-awareness to, to change, yeah. basically. Yeah. Okay. And you have mentioned that Finca, it's, uh, it's itself becoming a strength-based organization. Can you explain how you are using the tool to help build human skill? capability both internally and externally with your client. Yeah. Here, I would like to know more about the internally. Internally. So we're trying to mirror everything that we do externally with clients. And often we try things out, first of all, internally with our team because, it, you know, it makes sense. But importantly, the, the minute that someone joins our business, so day one, the first thing that they will learn is about our purpose, learning that what makes work human. They'll focus and go deep into our values And then they'll focus on their strengths. So they'll complete their profile. They'll have a debrief with, with one of the strengths coaches. And the reason we do this is because we need to help them to understand how they can put themselves into the center of the business. So what is their contribution potentially going to look like outside of, of their job role? So it's less about the job role and more about their contribution and the value that they add. Pretty much all of our facilitators now are either fully accredited or, or on their way to accreditation. And so um, that part of it means that we've got the resources internally to ensure that, you know, we have regular coaching with our team. But most importantly for us as a business, it's about building um, common language where it's less about, you know, I have significance activator, et cetera, but more about recognizing the behaviors and how they show up both productively and less productively building a culture of trust whereby we can celebrate when we see um, our amazing uh, Carolyn, you're in that meeting, your activator was dialed up brilliantly and you really managed to push us through when we were stuck and we didn't know how to move forward versus, hey, Carolyn, in that last meeting, your activator was way too high. You said yes to five things that we now can't deliver on because we don't have the resources. So being able to bring that language into meetings, into one-on-ones, means that we're creating this environment where we're actually putting our strengths to work. And I think that's that's the, the crucial thing for us. We also uh, weave it through everything we do from a professional development perspective. So twice a year, we each of the team members will spend time with their leads and they will build out their goals. Um, and it will be one human skill that they'll work on over a six-month period. So go really, really deep to really embed that, that skill and really practice. And on the back of that, each team member would have a coaching session with a, with a strengths coach to say, okay, well, this is what we want to achieve. How now can I leverage my strengths to actually get to, to that final goal? We have a lot of strengths assets that we use uh, within the business. We've created our own strengths videos. Um, we have a lot of reports. We use Cascade, which a lot of you out there would probably know, um, which allows us to create lots of different reports in the moment when we need them. Um, we even had uh, a talent time, which was uh, one session each week where we would spend some time as a group going through one of the talent themes. 
And there may have been some dress ups involved um, along the way, which was quite good fun. But, you know, it was like, how do, how do you how do you um, represent this particular talent? So we had um, we had some fun with that along the way, because I think, you know, we, we talk a lot about we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we do take the work seriously. So we like to have a bit of fun with it. Um, what else do we do? We also have um, sort of random, powerful partnership coffee catch ups, which we we try and sort of drive, get the team to drive themselves. So they're sort of self-managing. And ultimately, we we keep it very informal. We, we don't formalise it too often. We did have um, a big event last week called Play With Strengths. We finally were able to get together in person as a team. And we created uh, about five different experiential activities, which all linked to how we work more effectively together by understanding each other's strengths. So we do a lot of that work internally. Okay, and what about uh, performance? Um, I took a note where we talk about um, performance in triangu triangular approach uh, mm. during our last conversation. Can you explain a little bit? So our performance or our professional development is based around sort of three areas. We look at our values, we look at capability build, and we look at strengths. So strengths mm -hmm. is almost the foundation. But then we've also got to think about doing it in the right way, which links back to our values and then the, obviously the capabilities that we need to build and performance sort of sits in the middle of that triangle. So all of our conversations are around those three areas when it comes to performance within our business. Okay. In a context of uh, investing in one skill for six months, do you have a live mm. example of someone who have invested in a building human skill internally? And I think we are talking about building system as an example. Previously. Yeah, actually, I, yeah, I do. Uh, so one team member that comes to mind, their, their goal really was around building that skill of accountability. So to give you a bit of sort of background, their tendency to procrastinate, um, not to deliver to a deadline and sometimes not to the quality that was required for the task. So when we set up the initial goal that, for them to work on over the six months, we, we started off by making it less outcome focused and more targeted towards them identifying with who they want to be known for. So they want to be known to be a person that the team can rely on, someone who delivers on what they promise. And this actually comes from a lot of the research and work with, that we've been doing um, around atomic habits. So this has been a book that um, we've all been researching and reading, James Clear. And what we loved about his methodology around achieving goals, we felt like it was very, it was very strengths focused. So it really aligned to who we are as a business. One of his um, quotes that he uses is that we don't rise to the level of our goals, we actually fall to the level of our systems and that every intentional action that we take is a vote towards the type of person we want to be. And so um, when we when we think about that, it, it leads then to this idea of habit building. So how do we build habits through strengths? So if I use this particular person as an example, they have no executing talents in their top 10 right? So there is this sort of initial feeling of, but how do I do this thing? How do I change this behavior? So we started, which is, this person has a lot of uh, strategic thinking and also relationship building things. So we started off by leveraging the futuristic talent and asking, you know, what would it feel like? What would it look like if this goal was achieved and really sort of helped her 
sort of visualize what this what this could look like. And then this helped to inform some of the habits or behaviors that needed to change ultimately. We then also sort of tapped into empathy. What would it feel like to be in another role, um, to have the ripple effect of being on the other side of a task not being delivered on time or a task not being delivered with quality? And the actions that resulted from, from this were exercises like um, the individual reaching out to other team members to understand their role, to understand their challenges, asking more questions at the beginning of a project to gain more clarity and ownership of delegated tasks. And then finally, sort of doing things like blocking out the calendar for focused work, reaching out early if uh, they weren't likely to or there was an obstacle that was getting in them in the way of them delivering. And um, what that sort of showed was that I don't need to have executing talents in my top 10 to execute. I just need to use the tools that I have to make this happen. And so it, it's really powerful because it moves you immediately into that growth mindset of I can do this. I've just got to do it in a different way. Do you use also internally, I imagine, because you're doing a lot of workshop, some complementary partnership? Like the fact you're self-aware of the strength of other, you might have some capabilities that other have and who complete yours. Uh, mm. Is internally people working um, based on outcome and based on their strength, how they can help each other? Does that happen sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. We we try and focus more less on job roles and more on contribution. I have actually had this conversation yesterday in that uh, we're we're working on creating more experiential a- activities for our online workshops rather than um, learner driven, and rather than sitting within the design team, looking at where we've got the creativity. Um, and the want in other in other team members that sit in different departments. So it might be in digital, it might be um, it might be a facilitator, etc. So rather than looking at job roles and and the tasks sitting within those job roles, you know where does it sit within the wider team? And I think when you can get that right, when you can strategically think about, I need to bring this person in at this point of the project, or someone else in at this point, you, you really understanding the power of strengths in a team. I think that for me is is incredibly powerful. It kind of brings me to that I I don't know whether you've ever seen this video Bruno. There's a there's a great video out there of a Formula 1 pit stop team. And it's 18 people or 18 team members working together to create a 2 minute pit stop where they change the tires. Not sorry, 2 minutes, 2 seconds. 2 second pit stop where they change the tires. 18 people around a car changing tires in two seconds. Now, if that isn't a strengths-based team, I don't know what is. And when you watch it, you see the reason why they're able to do that because there's high levels of trust. They all know their roles. They all trust other people will do what they said they would do. Um, there's that that element of I know when to step in and when to step out. It's like a choreography of a team is amazing. And I think from my experience, when you can work out the right choreography through the lens of strengths, you actually end up with a team that thrives. It's like an orchestra. Absolutely. Mm, like an orchestra. Yeah. Like Yes. I didn't see this video, but um, I had this reflection at some point. I was watching Formula One and I was fascinated by how they change, how fast and how many mm. people. Yes, absolutely. Now I would like to talk about leadership and I bring hybrid uh, working environment. 
when it comes to leadership capability, what human skills do you believe leaders will need to navigate the change we are facing in the new hybrid working environment? Mm, it's a really good question. I think that we would all agree that organizations need a much bigger focus generally on becoming more human. But if we think about the last couple of years, the, the, with all the uncertainty, everything that we've had to go through you know, globally, what we, we saw were leaders spending much more time asking questions like, how are you feeling? What do you need? What support do you need from me? So it's almost been a gift over the last two years in growing psychological safety in organisations. So I would say that probably the, the skill that we saw initially was promoting empathy. The, mm -hmm. the leaders were really leading in, like leaning into this into this skill, and we found that we were running a lot of sessions around empathy, self empathy, empathy for others. You know, how do we turn empathy into action? Uh, which obviously is much more that sort of idea of compassionate leadership. But what we're seeing now, as we emerge, as we reimagine organisations, we're seeing this sort of need for accountability rising to the surface more so now it's like we're sort of coming out reimagining the world um that that idea of you know setting expectations of um following through on what you've promised to do uh holding yourself accountable driving results and obviously accountability is an outcome behavior but really for that to work there's a lot of the things that need to be working underneath we need to have an absence of blame culture we need psychological safety we need departments collaborating with each other. We need strong communication. And I think this is where strengths comes into play so strongly because when you know your own strengths, you know the value that you contribute and you know and understand the value and, and what everyone else contributes in the team, you can get your best out of it. Yeah, think back to that uh, that Formula One team. That That is high levels of trust. That's I know that you'll do that. I'm not going to step in. I'm not going to jump in because you're going to do what you said you would do because we've all got to work together to make this happen. And so um, I think that that's probably what we're seeing a lot more now, this, this sort of idea of accountability. Mm. I would like to talk about the, the bottom of the report, which is not a weakness. It's just something we have less. We have less, mm. basically. Um, we use less. And talking about empathy, I know in my report, empathy is 33, and my command is four. So I'm, I have a lot of strength command with you, Caroline. Mm. And how do you develop, how do you help people to uh, develop the empathy skills? Or another one, if you want to talk about another uh, human skills they need, if it's on the bottom of their report. Okay, yeah. So mine is also, mine's number 32. So it's, a, it's very low for me. And I often use that as an example when I'm talking to people about uh, when they, oh, no, you know, I've got really, really low empathy. For me, empathy isn't a natural strength. It's not part of my DNA. It's not how I'm naturally wired. It's not going to be the first lens I always go to. But I'm a facilitator. I'm a coach. Uh, I lead people. So it's not like I can't, I can't have it. And so often we'll talk initially about the difference between having empathy as a strength, a natural strength, but also being able to build empathy as a skill, um, which, which we can all do and which I have done over the years in, in order to be uh, effective in the roles that I have. And so when we talk about empathy as a skill, we actually focus in on uh, Brené Brown's research around 
um, the attributes that sort of sit within empathy and, and those attributes are, are mindfulness, the ability to be present and, and in the moment, uh, emotional literacy, so being able to catch an emotion and, and understand that um, you're feeling it. We often, you know, we label emotions a lot of the time. We label them as positive. So I'm feeling enthusiastic and energetic and, you know, loving life versus I'm overwhelmed, I'm jealous. But the reality is that emotions are neutral. And as long as we can catch it in the moment, not get swept away by it, be able to sort of step back, then we can learn to to self-manage these emotions and make sure that we choose a path that takes us in a really positive direction. Um, Empathy is also about being non-judgmental, being able to go into a conversation and not already have an answer. And that's hard sometimes for people that have a lot of influencing talents like ourselves. You know, you, you, you kind of already have the answer in your head and you've almost got to take it out before you go into having a tough conversation or providing feedback or, or even in a coaching scenario. It's something that I have to look out for. It's a bit of a red flag that I, you know, I'm already going in with a solution. Um, perspective taking is another area that, that we look at building. So how do I look at different perspectives? How do I push myself outside of my comfort zone and, and hang out with people who will challenge me? Um, personally, I've had to do that a lot in my life because I, I know that that's what drives me forward, what allows me to um, manage some of those crazy influencing talents I have sometimes, actually seeing different perspectives, having someone next to me who um, he's, he's high in relationship building. He will say, hey, Carolyn, have you thought about how that might impact someone? Having someone on the other side of me who is really high in strategic thinking who will slow me down and say, hey, have you asked enough questions? Have you done the due diligence? You know, when I've got those people near me who are challenging my way of thinking, it actually opens up my, um, my ability to be more effective in, in anything that I do. And then finally, it's it's understanding how you're communicating, you know, understanding how your questions are landing, um, thinking about the non-verbals. I think often with communication, we think it's um, all about the words, whereas actually so much of communication, I can't remember the exact stats, but I feel like it's only 20% of the words and it's something like, you know, 75% is uh, body language and the micro um, expressions that you make. So people hear your facial expressions, people hear your body language. So part of understanding empathy is understanding the whole person and not just what's coming out of your mouth. I have another question uh, outside that we haven't prepared and I'm going a little bit outside the box. As we are building human skill, we took the example of empathy. But here we talk about people who don't have empathy. What about with people who have very high empathy? Do you think it could be a bias if you are empathy? It's really about a feeling and it's almost the opposite of fact. And does that make sense? How does that work to help people who, if we take the example of empathy, you don't go in a trap of because they feel it's necessary the reality. We have all some bias sometimes. What can we do to help? to make sure we are the more objective possible? I think it comes back to perspective taking, um, who, who, who you surround yourself with. You know, if someone is an empath or has high empathy and, you know, say it's, a, it's in my top five and I'm, it's coming from the basement for me, I find it really hard to separate emotion from fact. 
And so I need to I need to surround myself. I need to sense check sometimes before I have a conversation or I provide feedback. I need to sense check with someone whether I'm allowing that sort of emotional bias to get in the way of me delivering the feedback in a really clear way. Um, I've worked with uh, people sometimes who have really high empathy. In, in their mind, they, they feel like they have to soften the message because, you know, the bias gets in the way. So I look at someone and, you know, my confirmation bias or whatever it might be is uh, they're really soft, um, they're really sensitive, so I'm going to soften my message a little bit for them. And actually what I'm all I'm doing is creating ambiguity. Uh, I'm not giving them, I'm doing them a disservice rather than a service. And so I think this is whether you've got it as a strength or whether you're building it as a skill, Again, it's like anything, it's practice. It's practice, more practice. It's sense checking with other people. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes to, I uh, guess, delineate between what is just something, a story I'm telling myself versus relying on fact and data. Mm. We discussed the importance to develop a culture of psychological safety versus mm. a culture of blame to encourage trust and accountability. What is your opinion, your opinion and can you share some examples? Mm, as I mentioned earlier, you know, this building this culture of psychological safety is actually, I, I, I honestly believe, has improved so much over the last two years, just that, that, that want to create environments where people feel safe. And I mean, when we talk about psychological safety, it's the ability to bring my whole self to work, to have a voice, um, to feel a real sense of belonging. Um, to feel appreciated for my sort of unique value proposition, I guess, and, and the freedom to fail and, and feel supported. So, you know, creating that kind of environment allows people to be at their very best. And so obviously then impacts their productivity, impacts their engagement levels, um, and ultimately impacts results. So that's really where we want to be. And when there's an absence of this, what we often see is this sort of blame culture, And it's the opposite of accountability in that um, often, often you're, it, there's a, like a culture of fear, which then leads to cover-ups, which then leads to no learning from mistakes, which then leads to a system, systemic issues that remain because we're not dealing with them. Mistakes continue, which then leads to blame, which so you can see it's this cycle that just continues. And it really does come from this absence of psychological safety. So as leaders, creating these environments where people do feel like They can fail and have that support. Um, they can actually have a voice and speak up. And, and I think if you think about strengths and you think about the philosophy that sits behind strengths, it's really about not just talking about diversity, not just talking about difference, but really appreciating it, really looking at someone and saying, rather than, God, that annoys me when they ask all those questions, it's, wow, that's amazing. They're asking such powerful questions. It's not something I do, but thank goodness they do because, you know, I'm really appreciating the fact that they've got a difference to me, but I know that difference actually creates, um, it creates a great team that has a diversity of thought, which is what we're all focused on now, especially when we think about things like, you know, innovation and creativity is so important to organisations now. Strengths helps us drive that. And when we have this sort of absence of psychological safety, we, we lose it. And also, we, we learn by mistake. I mean, 
it's the best way to improve a process, to, to change a culture. It's to have this transparency. Uh, don't have the fear to fail or to hide mm. information because fear or what about others will think about. But I think when we fail and we are transparent, we receive the, the help of your colleague of different departments, different people. And also we process in certain ways that we learn why we failed and where we failed. And mm. the next time we arrive to a similar scenario, we have this natural uh, thought, hang on, that doesn't work, I need to do better. So it's an opportunity to grow for everyone and mm. to lead to performance. Yes, I agree. I had now, this, um, sorry, Bryn, I had this conversation yeah. with someone the other day around if we could just get rid of the word fail and turn it into learn, how different the mindset might be. Because really, you know, each time you fail, you're learning something, um, whatever that might be. And I, I just think that it's a mindset piece sometimes in that space. Yeah, that's something I was really challenged based on my background. I'm French, you can hear the accent. <laughs> and I come from a, a culture where when a teacher gives you your scorecard, they will look at what is red or what is low and it's, um, they will pinpoint this area instead of focusing on where you're good at. Mm. But in reality, in life, if you are not good in an area repetitively over the years, you will be surrounded by someone who, compl uh, who complement uh, this, uh, this skills. That doesn't mean that you don't need a, a certain basic to understand. Let's say uh, I'm not good with number, I still need the basic to understand number, but I will have an accountant. I will not do myself. Mm. And it's important to, to be self-aware about where we're good at, where we are not good at, and who can help each other. And when we fail, who, what we learn and who will bring with us to, to become a, a strength team, basically. Mm -hmm. Where are you, man? And, I think, uh, and, and that's, that's the language, isn't it, of strengths that, you know, we, we embrace our vulnerabilities. We, do, we, don't, we don't try and pretend we're, we're good at everything. We, we focus in on the things that we're really good at, but we're also aware of our vulnerabilities and we find ways to navigate that. I think that brings teams together, you know, when I can actually you know, grab someone else in the team and say, you know, you've, you've almost, when we're together, we're kind of brilliant. So, you know, I've got my activator on, you've got your analytical on, we come together, we create this incredible synergy, this incredible tension where I might be pushing forward, you might be pulling back, but when we come together, look what we can achieve. And I think that's the thing I've always loved about strengths. And it's make me come to the next question about inclusiveness and diversity. Because we talk about the importance of inclusiveness and diversity environment to support high performance team. But mm -hmm. uh, we all know that it's much more challenging to, uh, to lead and to create this diversity than taking people on board who look like the same. Can you share the place um, of Clifton Strength? What's the role here? We've, we've done a lot of work in this space, I think, for over the last couple of years. And if there's probably another piece here where we talk about diversity, inclusion and belonging. And I think the, the belonging piece is where strengths is, you know, really brings strengths in. So, you know, we talk about diversity as having the seat at the table. Inclusion is having the voice. But then belonging is actually having that voice heard. If we think about it from a strengths-based perspective, when you've got a team where people feel heard and valued, you're actually going to help them feel like they belong. And when they feel like they belong, they're going to be more engaged. They're going to actually want to get more involved. And so what I've seen is when we when we include 
strengths through um, any work that we do in the diversity inclusion space. It allows people to feel like they are being heard, but most importantly, that they are give, being given the, the chance to actually not just try and be like someone else, but actually be truly themselves. So we talk a lot about, you know, isn't about trying to be a leader like Sarah over here. It's actually you being a leader, um, using what you have and have your style, but actually just build those skills around who you are. Um, and, it, and it does lead to this idea of diversity of thought. We, we often see teams coming together, even our team, I would say, you know, we've got half of our team, if you described it from a sort of extrovert versus introvert, it would probably be half and half. But because we focus so much on our strengths, each person is an individual. There's no one that's like someone else. Each person brings something slightly different, contributes something slightly different. And what comes out of that is a team that um, is, it has more than respect, really has deep trust in the differences and, and appreciates them and encourages it. And you know, I just think that that is where we need to go. I mean, we can obviously talk about diversity and inclusion and the importance of, you know, ethnicity and nationality, all those things that we talk about all of the time. But at the crux of it all is just each individual belonging and feeling like they belong. And that's where strengths plays a really big part. When you talk about belonging, uh, do you link that to the purpose and mission of the organization? Or you mean you belong uh, in regard to all other people in a team? How do, how do you create this belonging? Because it's really part of the culture of your organization. But mm. at start, when you arrive in an organization, you have the onboarding, you know only what you know. So mm. can you share a bit, a little bit depth in, in space? So if you, if you think, uh, I often use the iceberg model for this. So we, you know, we see the actions and behaviors that sit above the, the waterline, but there's so much that sits underneath, uh, whether that's, you know, fear, motivation, experience, uh, all sorts of things that you wouldn't know. That comes through in getting to know someone, um, understanding who they are. And what is a better way of getting to know someone than, than getting to know their strengths? Because strengths-based conversations just naturally inform you, naturally help you to understand what is it that this person needs to be successful? What is it that this person needs to feel like they belong? Um, and the more you have these conversations as a team and, you know, individuals and pairs, the more that person starts to feel like, you know what, I'm accepted here. This, you know, this is who I am um, and this is how I show up. But it's also that, that accountability to constantly strive to play in that balcony space or to play in that productive space, um, holding each other accountable to that, but also having forgiveness for where we kind of drop to the basement because we all do. As I said earlier, it's, you know, we're human. So it's creating that, that human um, environment where, yeah, we all fall down sometimes, but we, we've got your back, you know. I love it. Um... I would like to talk about, can you share some example about where you have utilized strength in leadership program and where it has potentially accelerated the speed to competency? Yeah, I can share a couple actually. Um, one of the big programs that we've run is with an advertising agency. And mm -hmm. so we've weaved strengths through all of their sort of human skills programs. So you know, they might be running a workshop on coaching, but each of the activities that they run through would be around, okay, so thinking about this coaching conversation, 
where will your strengths um, help you to sort of manage this conversation? Where might they get in the way? What do you need to look out for? So it's that constant link back to what do you already have that you can utilise to kind of get to that goal of becoming a better coach. So we would weave it all the way through the programme. But I think with this particular company, what we saw that was really powerful was with all the data that we were able to collect around each individual strengths and the team grid, et cetera, we were able to help them build out some, um, some squads. So they, were, they moved away from hierarchy and they moved more to project squads. And these were strengths-based project squads. So really thinking about this is the project we, we need to deliver on. Who do we need to bring in at what point and how are they going to utilise their strengths? So it's less about technical competency and more about how they leverage their strengths as a team to achieve their goals. So that was really powerful. Um, and it, I guess it it sort of helped us to start thinking about what teams and organisations would look like moving forward. Um, another one I can think of is a global health and wellness organisation where we sort of introduced all of their programs, we weave strengths through, whether it was an innovation program, a leadership collective, et cetera. But I think what we did well with them was we introduced tactical tools. So to bring strengths into different leadership conversations, different one-on-ones, how they could bring strengths into their debriefs at the end of projects. So it was real tactical tools that was in the flow of work that they could almost self-manage because when we work with organisations, we're always about, you know, how do we enable, so it's more about sort of teaching others to fish rather than fishing for them all the time. So if we can we can start, that's the only real way to embed strengths, I, I think, into an organisation. Um, another example I can give you is a, a, a global tech company that we work with. So their strengths workshops were all linked to their strategic goals, so building strategy through strengths, elevating talent through strengths. But what sat around those workshops were a series of executive coaching sessions, which were individual with with the team. But then we also um, built out triad coaching. And for us, triad coaching is bringing together two or three people who work together, either manager or direct report, or three people within a project team with a coach to work out how their talents can work together. So it might be where they enhance each other. It might be where they close a gap for each other. It could be where there's a bit of positive tension. So how do we work more effectively? You know, and ultimately, you know, when I look at a problem that we have or a challenge that we have as a team, how can we strategically use our talent themes to achieve the goals? That's a lot of, lot of gold you're sharing with us today. Um, I know we have five minutes left. And I have two questions. Do you have some questions, Jim, from the audience? No, keep, keep going, Bruno. You're doing such okay. a great job. Just keep going. Okay, so what are some of the results you are seeing thinking about this through both a cultural and a capability lens? Honestly, the first thing I would say is massively increased motivation for learning. So, you know, what we see is when we include strengths in any type of learning that we do, there is this willingness to get involved. There's none of this, oh, I've got a training session or, you know, oh, I've got to go to coaching. I've just seen motivation lift. And I think for me that's that's really, really powerful, having been around a few years and, and knowing sometimes getting that engagement, it can be really hard. I think on a personal level, 
what I see is that it helps people get each other. Um, it builds relationships, which then forges that sort of, it's easier to forgive when you've got a great relationship in a team. So often, you know, things are forgiven a lot easier when people are really focusing in on their strengths and, and understanding that, you know, everyone has vulnerabilities and we're all human. So it does really sort of drive that, that human feeling. But importantly, the biggest thing that I see is that people start to see that they can achieve great things together rather than on their own. And so we see higher levels of collaboration when strengths are involved. Have you observed um, in terms of cultural environment, when I joined Gallup long time ago, not that long like Jim, but six years ago, <laughs> I remember I, I, it's, it's now one of my best partners. I'm activator uh, number um, four and number five. And so sometimes uh, I action before thinking, especially when I'm under pressure. And next door, it's deliberative number one. So now to stop to make, make mistakes, I, before I send an email when it's something very strategic, very critical, instead of to action, I go next door and I say, can I have your lens? And with mm -hmm. deliberative in action and this complementary together, it will give me a lens about uh, a different perspective, but also a risk uh, taker and, and give mm -hmm. me some, uh, it's, it's, I would say, um, bring a strength to my strength. Absolutely. And what I observe is what was, be honest, kind of annoying me when I start as an activator to have always to wait after this deliberative person. It's now we talk about acceptance, I understand where it comes from, I understand yeah. that it's a strength, I understand that people are different. And it's give really the lens about being inclusive, and accepting the diversity. It's where here we play really a role of working together, understanding each other, and, and seeing mm. that we are one team together with different lengths, but it's not necessarily negative. And that's yep, what I agreed. wanted to share. My last question, um, it's uh, as a strength is a movement rather than an event, how do you continue to help your clients maintain the momentum? And we talked about that a little bit previously, but do mm. you equip them? And we know also that um, coaching, based on our research, Gallup have done a lot of survey about millennials and coaching capability. People don't want a boss, they want a coach now, which also align with keeping this momentum. Can you share with us a little bit? Yeah, I think it's as simple as deformalizing it um, and creating touch points all around the organization, whatever that looks like for them. Sometimes it's uh, tools that they can use to self-manage, whether it's videos or whether it's, um, you know, coaching questions that they can use. And it's ensuring that they have these in integration tools in the flow of work at the point of need. How do they bring it into a conversation? You know, so they might be talking to a team member and they'll say something like, you know, how do we access your strengths to help with your da 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 da, -da? So I really think that integrating learning at the point of need rather than actually it being an event is probably the most important thing that we can do to really create that momentum for businesses. Thank you. Bruno, you've used all our time. Let's uh, let's take a sec. I'll be honest, uh, in the pre-show tonight, today for you guys, I said I enjoy the role of being a producer more than I do being a host. And tonight it was great to just sit back and listen and watch 
the two of you interact in your strengths and, and uh, just have this wonderful conversation. Um, you know, Carolyn, thank you for, for coming on. Bruno, let me give you a second. Would you, would you thank Carolyn for coming? Yes, absolutely, Caroline. I really enjoyed this session. You gave me so much and you gave so much to the community. And um, if people want to know more about how to build human skill, you can always reach to Finca and it's on linking or to Caroline. And if you want her contact details, please reach to me because we have an expert here and she brings so much to the strength community. So thank you so much, Caroline. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I'll say thanks again. Always great to do this, to, to hear the voices, to hear the experience, to just be a part of it. And we get some great feedback uh, from the chat room as well. So Carolyn, thank you for spending the time. The two of you hang tight for me one second. Let me close this thing up. We'll remind everyone to take full advantage, uh, at least on the Clifton Strength side of things. We have tons of resources available for you now in Gallup Access. Head out to gallup.com slash Clifton Strengths, log in, hit the resource tab, and just search for whatever you want. We've got tons of stuff there for coaching, master coaching, or to become a Gallup certified strengths coach, you can contact us for us for, for us for that as well. Coaching at gallup.com is the email address to get that done. You can find us on Facebook. Join us there, facebook.com slash group slash called to coach. Lots of conversations. We continue the conversation there is kind of what we do and love to have you as part of those groups as well, or on any of those other social sites that you were everywhere. Just search. Clifton Strengths and find us there. I want to thank you for joining us today. If you found this helpful, we'd really like you to share it. And uh, thanks for coming out. If you listen live, thanks for coming out. If you listen as a podcast or on YouTube, thanks for doing that as well. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. Thanks for coming out. With that, we'll say goodbye, everybody. <laughs>